feel like everybody draws on a different fantasy world for how they feel orcs should exist and you know be a part of your world so if you think orcs they're in D&D they're in World of Warcraft they're in Lord of the Rings pretty much any high fantasy novel that you can think of that you read as a child a teen or an adult these guys exist so what I kind of want to know from you guys is which fantasy genre or fantasy series or any inspiration do you tend to draw on when you're thinking about your orcs and how you want to use them do you use strictly just the D&D 5th edition books or do you usually pull from other places I come kind of interested, so let me know. Okay, so I mean, to answer the question, Lord of the Rings obviously is where I started, but uh, Adam, you know my family. You know I come from a family of people who love history and love World of um, Warcraft. Is where you're going with this? No, I'm not going World of Warcraft. I'm, I'm talking real world history, real world cultures. My mom is an anthropologist, which is a study of people and people groups. Also anatomy, and also anatomy. Um, so. Mm. When I think of orcs, I tend to like collect a bunch of world groups together, and I go uh, Mongolian nomad uh, nomadism mixed with southern tribal shamanism with a dash of Viking expansionism to give the feel of a brutal conquesting nomad that also have their own code of tribal ethics and spirituality, and that's where I go for my orcs. I just go to the. 5e lore man that's so fucking rich i i mean yes and like the the lore reinforces like nothing of the stock 5e lore was surprising or out of tone for how i run my works no and i look to 5e for inspiration because i didn't like what fourth edition was doing and 3.5 just kind of had it spread out all over everywhere depending on which setting you were in and it got a little convoluted um but no i like the forgotten realms Orcs. It may, they just make sense to me. Yeah. It's a mimic, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion podcast, where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities, where we look at some of the bellowing humanoids out there that can make up the enemy armies in Dungeons and Dragons. I'm Dan, and with me today is Adam, and this episode is called Orc Hordes. Tusked Raiders. It's a Star Wars pun. See what it is? Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, very Tusked good. Raiders. Yeah. Tusked. Because they got tusks. That's what I did. Anyway, so for those of you who are still listening to this I'm not podcast, giving you the satisfaction. No. no. <laughs> um, I just wanted to let everybody know that we, uh, like we mentioned in the last episode, we're going to be operating under some COVID restrictions right now. So everybody else that's normally involved with the podcast, Dave, Megan, Brad, Terry, as well as others that uh, operate behind the scenes, have all um, pleasantly uh, fucked off to other places away from what we're, we're going to call the guild house. Yeah. Right? It's not a studio. It's a guild house. So Dan and I are together because we have to stay in each other's bubbles for a litany of reasons. Ladies. Daniel. Mwah. But... We uh, we have got everybody else out in the world doing their own research, and they're going to be uh, piping in with little segments as we move forward. This is a new format we're going to go with for the next little while, and then hopefully we'll be able to get them back into the studio here, into the guild house at some point. I don't know. It's kind of nice it just being you and me. Yeah, I just wish you would wear pants. Well, at least we don't have to worry about Dave's smell. Yeah, or that look Terry keeps giving me that makes me pucker in all the wrong ways. Or the one that Brad keeps on giving you that makes you pucker in all the right ways. He's so pretty. He's soft like a woman. Anyway, we've reached out to our army of friends and allies to help us break down what an orc horde looks like in 5th edition. So, after that 
awkwardness aside, we're going to jump into some basics. All right, Adam. We are starting our mob mentalities here, uh, covering my favorite. Um, I think you did this to pander to me a little bit when you were kind of coming up with the schedule. Well, when you say mob, when you say horde, you think of orcs, right? When it comes to fantasy, and I guess that's a Tolkien thing. Yeah. Right? Like, you think orcs first. So, even when we were doing mobs last time around in the podcast, way back when we were infants in (laughs) in, um, podcasting, uh, we started off with orcs and goblins as the first two, right? Yeah. Like, these are these are the ones that people are the most interested in because, frankly, there's a shit ton of them. Yeah, and and they cover a wide gamut of uses. They're not they're they're actually quite in depth with the lore with them as well. And um, before we really get going, that's what we want to cover. And the information we're grabbing today can be found in the Monster Manual or Volos. Um, there is going to be information from other books in later episodes, but for this episode, we're, we're focusing in on those two books pretty much. Yes. So, um, I did some prep, Adam, because I I don't believe you. I didn't want to just spout out of my ass like I usually do. Um, I wanted to give some good, concise information here. So I, I did some heavy prep and, um, I gotta say, man, like. I was not expecting orcs to be as rich as they are. In 5th edition, there are so many different kinds. And their their pantheon fucking matters. Yeah. Right? So, anyway. Let's, Anyways, let's get into it. So, yeah. orcs are your base savage. Uh, they're nomadic raiders of baseline Dungeons and Dragons. Um, physically, they're large, muscular... Uh, skin tone goes from like gray to green. They're not ages, really green in fifth But head. it's more on the gray side. Yeah. Um, but they still have those large sloped brows, those beady sharp eyes, the piggish nose and sloped postures, stooped postures. Um, they've also notably, as you said in the intro, have tusks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... There, I mean, with all this, you could get this kind of feel of that traditional pigman or pigman flavor with orcs um, being the not-so-racially sensitive outlook on these savage peoples. Well, look, when you're talking about these monstrous hordes, these monstrous peoples, I don't mind, I don't mind generalizing these... I, I hesitate to call them races, although they are technically because they can interbreed, mm-hmm. right? Um and man, are they prolific. Oh, yeah. Orcs can breed. Uh, and often do. Yep. Um, often. But but I don't mind going by the broad strokes here, especially because that's... We're going to talk about orcs specifically in the Forgotten Realms. They're very different in Eberron and Dark Sun. Yeah, and yeah. they're pretty similar in Greyhawk, with the exception of the gods, right? But... For well, even the gr- gods are fairly similar as well. A grumpsh, groomsh, however, groomsh, however you yeah. want to pronounce it, is going to go back and forth in this episode. But um, is uh, is standard, right? Yeah. But yeah. the others got expanded for fifth ed, right? Yeah. So. yeah. Well, the pantheon really got filled out with a lot of the other lore, but really the pantheon is a good way to start. And what we have here is that the origin of the Orcish people is. Uh, from the legends of their central and their greatest deity, that is of Groomsh One-Eye. Uh, Groomsh tried to claim both the forest and the mountains for his people, um, but finding that they were already taken by the elves and dwarves, Groomsh entered into a rage and decided to lay waste to those lands out of jealousy 
Um, and he used his people as his instruments. So that kind of gives the idea. It's of, like Terry using people as instruments. Yeah, yeah, but kind of different. Okay, just a, like uh, Terry. Well, he does it with one-eyed monsters too, right? And uh, same amount of leather and chains. <laughs> God, keep going, please. <laughs> this hatred of elves specifically is also inflamed by the story of the of the story of the history of the elf deity Corallon Lorethian who is said to have shot out Groomish's eye, which is why you get the name Groomish One-Eye. Groomish now commands his people to slaughter all elves on sight ruthlessly, um, but any worshippers who join him in his injury are granted an additional boon by the Savage God. So I've come across in lore in the past that orcs will actually subjugate um, dwarves specifically because... Yep. Orcs don't craft their own shit, right? No, they get they dwarves don't. to do it. Um, they will actually work in tandem with some human raiders and and like savage barbarian tribe humans, yep. right? And so um, they've got some tolerance for others. A lot of the times they'll just take over a stronghold and kick people out. They'll slaughter the warriors and let the others yeah. go because they're going to circle back, right? To- yeah, they want to leave someone there to restart that thing so when they come back around in their nomadic cycle they they have another place to raid here and they can survive here for another couple weeks yeah and so they they're not looking for total slaughter except with elves elves they will kill down to the last fair-haired cabbage slippered wearing motherfucker that they could find right knife-eared motherfuckers yeah yeah (laughs) anyways it's relentless their assault on elves um they will often when they are taking over a dwarven stronghold those dwarves that they don't enslave, they will also kill to a man in that regard. But it's it's by no means a um, flared up hatred as it is with elves. So here's one other thing that I want to get into really quickly because it's implied in the lore, but it's never stated anywhere specifically. Do you know what happens when an orc dies? No. Uh, they go to um, battle with underneath uh, Groomsh. For all of eternity in the everlasting ongoing battle, the same way the goblins do under Maglubiet, right? Okay, yeah. And so Groomsh and Maglubiet are actually fighting on the same plane in a war that is consistently brewing in the afterlife, much like the blood war is oh. between devils and demons. So how do you think orcs and goblinoids interact in the mortal material plane? They've got to hate each other because it's built into their system, right? I guess that's true. Yeah, I've always kind of played them as allies, to be honest. Yeah, I have as well. But then when I was doing my reading, I went, wow, this is this is really like set up in the afterlife to be mortal enemies. Is there a specific immortal that, enemies? that takes uh, Ar- Archeron? Archeron? Oh, Archeron. Okay, yeah. yeah so. That's the one between lawful evil and neutral evil, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a... It's on the Great Wheel, it is... Just good of the nine hells. Oh, just good of the nine hells. Yeah. So okay. just a little bit better than the nine hells. That that fits because orcs, by their base nature, now a lot of their mechanics say they're chaotic evil, but by their nature, uh, base nature, they're kind of neutral is where they sit. They've got their own rules and their tribal laws and stuff too. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's might equals right, but... Yeah, but right. I mean, but like if if you take an orc and you civilize him, you put him, you take him out and you raise him in a civilization, he'll still have this innate blood sense under his skin. He'll still have this um, might makes right mentality, but 
He's going to have a code of ethics and morals, and he and could be good. They really do get into that shit in the Eberron setting as well, which we're not talking about. But they're very lawful there. Yeah, yeah. Now, your generic base orc, we did mention, is a nomad. Um, and it's because... Which is this- ironic, because he's always mad. Hey! Um, and it's mostly because of this nomadic lifestyle that orcs also pillage and scavenge what they can... And either leave the old or infirm to rebuild, like we mentioned. Um, this gives them a target to loot again. Or they'll just burn to the ground everything that they can't use. And then move on to the next thing. Yeah, I mean, it depends on on whether or not you're part of the, the cycle already, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, their settlements are really, really interesting as well. Because what they'll do is they'll settle near uh, like civilized land. Like just on the outskirts or the borderlands of wherever they are intending to raid they will settle there and their settlements will have primarily defensive um quant uh, qualities to it and what this will do is this basically they're just there to settle long enough to do their raiding and pillaging get what they need out of the settlement before they'll move on so their settlements will be not for long term they're not there to survive many years they will set up often in old ruins as well or near old ruins because those will still offer protection for like heroes coming in to stop them before they could do their raiding, right? So this- Can I interject with a thing really quick? Sure. Okay, so um, all of your stuff about the defensive battlements and whatnot really tracks with a legend that they have written in the the uh, source material. Okay. Do you know about King Obold Many Arrows? I, I know extensively about King Obold Marin Arrows because I have read all of the books that have him in it. Okay, well, I'm going to go through it for those people that don't know. So here's the blurb. Here's what we get out of... Um, I'm not going to read it directly, but here's a general gist for uh, people that are listening. Um, King Obold Many Arrows is the most famous orc war chief in the entire history of D&D. Yeah. He was the most cunning and strategic war chief in Forgotten Realms and was infamous and praised for his horrible temper. Which is hilarious that he is praised for being brutish and savage mm-hmm. as well. But that gives you kind of an insight into what war chiefs, 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 that, that chafes me. It's not the, it's not the Kansas City chiefs. <laughs> Maybe it should be. <laughs> um, uh, but it gives you an insight into kind of how they operate and how other orcs see them. Yeah. Um, he absorbed dozens of smaller tribes into his own until his horde reigned in the thousands. Then he claimed lands in the spine of the world, which is a massive mountain range, and waged war for years against humans, elves, and dwarves on all sides. Yeah. Eventually, though, he ended up suing for peace. And this confused the majority of the orcs that followed him. It's considered to be either the cleverest way to bolster the orc horde and prepare for the most devastating attack in orc history, or... It's utter blasphemy, and King Obold Many Arrows needs to be dethroned and executed. And there seems to be some disagreement among the massive horde about this. But apparently that's still sitting there at the spine of the world. Yep. Uh, So there is a book, I can't remember the name of it um, off the top of my head. I think it's Many Arrows. Um, It's another one of the Dritz books. I like Dritz and Obold buttheads quite a lot. Um, Dritz, of course, being the famous Strow Ranger. Um, who a lot brought a lot of the lore of Forgotten Realms to the surface. Um, there's a book that takes place like 200 years in the future of where Dritz's stories normally take place. Like all of his friends are long since dead, even the dwarf ones. And it's just him kind of wandering around the world. And he's like talking to King, King 
Obold Mini Arrows the third in the Mini Arrows country that has been established because of this, right? Okay. So um, I'm not exactly sure if that's canon anymore because that happened sometime during fourth and uh, things were weird in fourth. Yeah, but, they were. Um, it, it was very interesting to see, you know, Dritz talking to civilized orcs. Orcs. Yeah, that's weird. Right? Anyway, I thought that was a really cool piece of lore that is part of 5th edition. Mm-hmm. The fact that there is this massive thousand strong horde that is sitting in the mountains. Yeah. Kind of waiting with like really poorly brokered peace that nobody truly understands. The thing that I love about this is it's in the spine of the world. North of the spine of the world is... The Icewind Dale. And if you are doing Rhyme and the Frostmaiden, your party might try to leave through the Spine of the World, which is a impassable mountain range for not just terrain, but also the thousands of orcs and giants that live there. Yeah, there's a large um, piece of history as well. We talked about in the Waterdeep episode about this massive orc uh, horde that came in and threatened everybody and then left again. Mm-hmm. And the Waterdeep... Or what would become Waterdeep kind of weathered that storm, um, whereas other civilizations around didn't. And uh, I assume that those orcs have moved up to the spine of the world. So that really does seem to be an orc base. Yeah. Now, I mean, if you are paying attention, you've noticed that their society, if you can really call it that for the baseline orc, is patriarchal. um, And leaning towards the might makes right model. We're going to be saying those three words a lot here. Right? And that's just traditional orc lore the stronger the more uh hardy you are the more successful you will be in the tribe um if a warlord of uh sorry if a warlord can unite some tribes to form a larger war band under a prolonged and encouraged bloodlust they could be in power for decades or as we've seen hundreds of years Assuming they live that long, uh, their the, lifespan isn't that long. Their lifespan is incredibly short. They only live. Is, is that by design or? Uh, I mean, it's it's a matter of it. I'll be talking about that in a minute. Okay. All okay. Right. So the one thing I did want to mention about the war chiefs, real briefly, is they will often, after they get these large armies together and do their raiding, they get the pick of the loot. And one of the things that they love more than anything else, and as a Warhammer 40k player. This is something that kind of tickled me is a war chief. Um, it's like prime piece of loot that it gets is it's war overpriced wag- minis. No war okay. wagon, war wagon. Now it's war wagon is often a wagon that has a bunch of like metal and, and like armaments and, and spears yeah. just like attached to this thing. It is that interesting cross section between a transport throne and siege weapon. Uh, often a war wagon will protect troops from arrows raining in from elven uh, strongholds uh, while also functioning as a battering ram to knock in that uh, dwarf uh, ba- uh, bastion's door, right? Um, if, However, if a chieftain loses its war wagon, the aspects of spirituality and orc culture start to bleed through as they see this as a sign and an omen that that chieftain has lost favor with the gods and his downfall is short or soon to come. Huh. Yeah. On an important note, the orc might make right might makes right mindset goes beyond just their society build. They often bring in other races to the warband if they prove strong and hardy enough to endure it. It is common to see ogres, trolls, orcs, hill giants, werebores, werebears, ettins, and half orcs all fill out the ranks of a warband 
where other brutal versions of giants can even unite tribes together to serve under them. Um, on the flip side of that, they bear no sympathy for weaknesses. Every single warrior, every single person in a warband must be strong enough to take what they need and keep it. Orcs rule by savagery and numbers and have no interest in peace treaties, diplomacy, or negotiation, which is why all the stuff with Obald is weird. Yeah. And you're either under their command or you're dead. Now, to survive this warring society, Adam, we did mention earlier, and now we're going to get into it, orcs reproduce prodigiously. They get the fuck on. Oh, yes. The, but here's the thing about them. They don't marry. They have very few emotional fam family bonds. So there's probably a lot of incest going on as well within the within the ranks. Um, they view mating purely as necessary. Okay, all right. You mean just like the, the family trees or family circles just because that person's my second cousin twice removed and my third cousin once removed and um yeah yeah it, it's not so much it's not so much that really nasty i level know of incest. I, I i think it could like i think you're getting uh lannister level but i'm not going to <laughs> in my campaigns <laughs> yeah, i'm just gonna fair. say that okay. hey session zero stuff but yeah. like when you are a nomadic tribe wandering around and you're kind of you are in your literal bubble moving around there's not going to be a lot of options for you. I mean, I guess that's fair enough. That's probably why we get a whole lot of half-orcs as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like half-orcs, the other half can be a lot of other things other than human. Yeah. Right? Like, just it just is. Anyways, um, because they view mating as a necess uh, necessity and often they will um, send a uh, mother who is about to birth into a uh, spawning pit is what they call it. That's what I call it, too. Right? So, anyways, um, the children have to endure this brutal lifestyle as well. A child, uh, as soon as they're able to pick up a stick or a dagger, they're considered part of, like, a, a active um, weapon in the hands of the war chief. Um, this could this means a child of four is a juvenile orc, um, and a 12-year-old orc is a fully functioning adult. Um, That's a great way to mess with your party. Yeah, right? Yep. Um, how old was those orcs you just killed? Oh, they were. The oldest one was 15. Have fun. Yeah. Right? Um, most orcs don't live past 25 due to battle or illness, but your typical orc will die of old age around 40 to 50. They get ancient at around 50 years old. Um, as soon as a child can wield a weapon, it is trained, tested, and if found wanting, culled from the tribe to make room for the bigger, stronger youth. Um, these children that are called are either taken under the wing of the shamans or killed and left for orc food. Orcs, by the way, are large cow-like beasts that many orcs use as be beasts of burden and war mounts. Sorry, they're aurochs. Orcs. Aurochs and orcs. Yeah, orcs. Okay, you are not making this easy for the listeners. <laughs> aurochs. A-U-R-O-C-H. Yeah. Right? Um, there are basically large cow... Well, they're bulls. Cows. They're, they're battle bulls is what yeah, they are, right? right. Um, now, orc tribes do <clears throat> tend on the smaller side because they don't get along well with other tribes. Um, most, like, your larger tribes are only going to get around 100 to 200 uh, strong. Um, and they violently oppose the encroachment of other tribes. That said, they can unite under one cause, sat, such as ridding an area of a dwarven stronghold. Um, or... Clearing out elves from this one forest. 
Or Saruman. Or Saruman, yeah. Yeah. Now, the spirituality of orcs is one of the most important parts of their culture. Um, they're tribal and shamanistic. That means they live to honor their gods or ancestors and often live in fear of offending them. Uh, they see signs and omens as ways that their gods commune with them. They This also makes them superstitious and easily influenced, although they will bow to the wisdom of their medicine man or shaman if there is a conflicting if there's a conflict involving a sign. They will also have representatives of each of their gods in their camp taking action in their chosen roles. Whether it's Groomsh, Yurdis, who's the god of death and disease, Shargast, the god of darkness and sneakiness, Bogtru, the god of strength, or Luthic, the who is Groomish's wife, which is interesting because there's no marriage in orc tribes, but here's Luthic, and the cave mother and goddess of fertility is what her whole role is. Part of this spirituality is the orcus fixation on colors. Is there anything for Ilnival as well? Um, yes, there's there's more. Like okay, this, there's this was more. just a sample. Yeah. There's okay. there's more out there. They have a rich pantheon. We'll get into that next episode. We'll get into that next episode. Orcs, when they are going to war, will often paint themselves up in war paint, and the color of that war paint has different uh, functions as well. Red will mean conquest. Grayish, white, or ash will mean, like, death, and black would be darkness. These uh, are to communicate to whoever they war against what their intent is, right? As well as to be intimidating and scary. What's the difference between, like, death... Con conquest. Like, where does darkness come into? Uh, darkness is to uh, darkness is often uh, on their stealth or their uh, sneak. These are the guys who worship uh, Shargas, who's the god of sneakiness and and darkness. Yeah. They'll paint themselves in that for more covert missions. Sure. Um, but like red is what you're seeing the whole army painted as it's charging across the land. Yeah, yeah. Right? I, I recognize that. Whereas death, white is... Death would be, we're killing those elves, and they're all got, they all got to die. This isn't about taking stuff. This is about murder. Yeah, okay. I think also, like, the Claw of Luthic and the, the Hand of, of Yertris and whatnot are also in white as well. Yeah. Because they're like the healers. Mm-hmm. And so it's not just it's not just death. It's also disease yep. and, and staving off death, funeral rites, that kind of thing as well. Yeah. That is the culture. That's the overview of kind of what to expect from the flavor of orcs. If you are role-playing an orc, remember that they aren't inherently evil, like a gnoll is, for instance. Because gnolls are very, like, demon-born and... Yeah, they are... Much of story they there. are chaotic evil with a capital C, capital E. Yeah. Um, orcs are just savage and have a genetic bloodlust um, hovering just under the surface. I feel like they're more anarchist than pure chaos. Yes, they, they, they like their freedom. Yeah, don't tread on me. Yeah, right? So, uh, orcs would love a good fight and relish in the shedding of blood. Some traits to focus on would be possibly enchanting on a war song before or during a fight or drinking the blood of the monsters they slay. They believe in strength and dominance and glory while also being willing to die for their tribe, carry a totem of a great warrior, or um, the reliance on this tribal sense of honor and shame. Remember, an orc will also likely take trophies of hated enemies on top of all of the other treasures that they'll take. This is elf ears, dwarf beards, skulls, flayed skin, scalps, fingles, uh, fingles, fingers. Oh my God, not my fingles. (laughs) They're often forms of treasure that the orc will carry with it as a trophy for itself. Now, the orc language 
uh, just really briefly here is a guttural mix uh, between like a pig and a rabid dog is what it sounds like. That's one of the things that's interesting about Dungeons and Dragons is the history of the orc is tied to like pig men. Yeah. Right. It's it's not the almost like ape um, visual that you're getting based on the art in fifth edition of the big like giant almost knuckle dragging giant shoulders slumped forward no if you go back and look at like first and second or you know ad and d you're you're dealing with pigmen yeah that's where they get these like piggish snouts and the tusks and stuff from yeah um this will lead a lot of their names to have that harsh consonant sound you're not going to have like wesley yeah. There's no Wesley the Orc. There's no Wesley the Orc. It'll be like Grutok, Shagog, or Jaruk. It, I mean, it sounds they're very Klingon. Klingon. Yeah, they're Klingon. Names. Yeah. yeah. Um, but... Kabla! Yeah, right? And the cultures mix as well there, right? Like, they, they, they're very anal- analogous to each other. Yeah. They feel like they do go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, now, that's a... As quick as I can make it overview... Any other information you want to see. I mean, we talked about orcs way back when in our Mob Mentalities episode. Episode 15, Orcs, the Sword and Board Horde. You're welcome. That was yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, call it out now because we didn't call it out then, probably. Um, um, but we also have the next episode is going to be about orcs as well. Yep. So we've got even more about their pantheon and how these kind of specialized members of their group interact with the horde in, in general as well. Yeah. So before we go on any further, let's hit a commercial and then we will reach out to our companions to get some further breakdowns. Did you hit record? Yeah, go ahead. So as some of you have noticed, obviously, Dan and I launched a bit of an informal side project where we go through one of the Dungeons and Dragons publications at a time and determine the pros and cons and our overall thoughts. And the first one we did was Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. We went over almost every page, covering moderate spoilers for the adventure without giving the ending away. We covered things that interest players or maybe useful to dungeon masters to get inspiration from. I always love going through the monsters and the items and the player options. I really enjoyed seeing all the different forms of the Frost Maiden and investigating everything about her frosty layer to her maiden head. Dan? What the fuck, man? I need you to take these commercials way more seriously. I show up every time with the utmost professional attitude. Ah! What? You? Professional? Yes. Professional what? Dick? At least I'm not an amateur dick. I don't... What? I... What? What? What is your problem? What's an amateur dick? I don't know. Obviously, by definition, it's a dick that doesn't get paid. Does your dick normally get paid? I mean, it should. Well, I'm not sure that Canada's ready to reintroduce the penny, Adam. Go fuck yourself, Dan. (laughs) It should be getting paid in pounds, if you get what I mean. You can pound it on your own time. We're trying to record a commercial. Okay, anyway, Dick, we're going to periodically continue working our way through new releases as they come. Gross. As well as discussing some of the published material from Wizards of the Coast that has already hit the shelves. There's a lot of info out there for 5th edition, but not every DM or player knows which book to pick up next or what to expect from an adventure module. After all, there's some great additions to the library, and then there's, well, Rick and Morty versus D&D. This series is going to be sporadic and unscheduled, so keep your eyes out for these, and let us know if you agree with our assessments. We hope that you'll be able to use the series as a guideline for which books deserve your attention for your own personal needs as a D&D player, but keep in mind that they're going to be full of moderate spoilers for the adventures, 
and they aren't meant to tear into specific mechanics or stat blocks. As we go on, you'll be able to find previous Legend Lore episodes in a playlist on our YouTube channel, or check out the episode guide to see what books we've already covered by looking at the post on r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Now, let's get back to the episode, shall we? Fuck, one of these days we're going to record a normal fucking commercial. I highly doubt it. Well, whose fault is that? Mostly yours. Disagree. Okay, before we get into the nitty gritties today, it should be noted that all of the creatures are chaotic evil, medium humanoids. They're just, they're just orcs. Okay, yeah. they all got a speed of 30 feet. And the exception to this, of course, is their mounts, which have to be, by definition, in D&D, one size category larger. Yeah. They usually move faster as well, just by the nature of being a mount, as opposed to being like a beast of burden, which yeah. tends to move slower. So um, when we talk about mounts, I think Dave is going to talk about Aurochs here in yeah. a minute. Um, that's It's a little bit different than everything else. Um, now, orcs, they don't seem like much at first glance. When you look at an orc, they seem to be just a really basic mob member, but an AC of 15 and 2d8 plus 6 hit points is actually pretty daunting at low levels. Yeah. Considering that they're like a CR half, that's, well, your that's av- not nothing. Your average PC should be considered a CR half when they're level 1. Uh, quarter, because it's a part oh, yeah, of yeah, orc. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right? So every orc is twice as, as powerful as a level 1. Um, so that's why they get two hit dice. And a decent AC for, for that low level, right? They're a threat. They really are. So uh, let's reach out to Dave who's currently exploring parts of Eberron and of see he is. what else he might know about your standard orcs and their mounts. Hey, Adam, Dan, Dave here, all right? Uh, I am up in the Roarholds. Like I told you, I'm, I'm looking for some more information on the Draconic Prophecy. But while I was up here, uh, I got to having some beverages with some friends last night, and we got to talking. And we started talking about orcs. And let me tell you, these guys are nothing like I thought they were. I've never actually seen one in person. I mean, I've seen Dan, so I just kind of assumed that they were like that. But they're not. I mean, they're not even green, okay? But, like, the coolest thing about these guys is they are super strong, and they've got really high constitution, way more than a regular human would. Uh, They're fairly dexterous as well, but as I'm sure you guys know, they are dumb. Now, they can be wise, and they're about as charismatic as a human, but they are less than intelligent. Let's go with that, all right? Now, they do have a couple of, well, let's be honest, just just one real skill, and that's that they can intimidate people. Uh, They're a little better than average at that than most people. But, I mean, if you were big and gray and had a big long face and tusks and big bulky arms and everything you would probably be intimidating too, especially if you were, you know, how do I put this, less than pleasant on the nose and not just the eyes, okay? Uh, Now, these guys, they have pretty good dark vision. They can see in, like, absolute pitch black. Now, they do speak common and orc, and they have a challenge rating of about a half. So, they can be formidable, but they're not always. They're, They're strength in numbers, right? But, I mean, that's the whole thing about mobs anyways. The coolest thing about these guys, though, is their their special ability. Uh, they are quite aggressive. Let me tell you, I knew a guy once who got into a fight 
with a bunch of orcs, and he was new to the realm that we were in, and he thought that it would be okay and that uh, he could just walk in uh, and confront these guys and the rest of his party would catch up to him and he would be okay. But boy, was he wrong. As a bonus action, these orcs can move up to their speed as well as moving their speed. So they can almost double move. Well, they can, not almost, but they can uh, double move you know, with using their move action and bonus action. It's incredible. Anyways, this guy got surrounded and, I mean, he didn't make it. There was like 10 of them in a troll. So that should be a lesson, right? Wait for the rest of the part. If you are a rogue, let the paladin go first, right? Now, in addition to the orcs, we also got talking about these, I don't know how else to call them, orc cows. They're called aurochs, all right? They're these big cow-looking things with big curly horns and I, mean, I don't know how like a big humpy back I think these are things that an orc would ride uh these things are pretty ex- excuse the pun pretty beefy they've got a fair amount of hit points right 4d 10 plus 16 uh they've got an ac of 11 so it's it's in my opinion a little below average or easy to hit but of course they are they're big creatures but boy can these things move probably about 50 feet around. So you can see how an orc riding on these things can maybe change the dynamic on the battlefield. Now, these things are quite strong, right? Uh, And they have really high constitution as well, like almost otherworldly. Creatures don't get stronger than this, typically. Again, they're cows, so they're not super dexterous. They're average, but they're not anything to write home about. They are dumb as a post, and they are not charismatic. However, they are a little above average in their wisdom. All right, their passive perception is 11, so it's going to be kind of hard to sneak up on these guys. They don't speak any languages, and they are a CR of 2. So you can see how maybe having three or four orcs riding aurochs uh, in an encounter could be a little more daunting than just a regular orc combat. Now, the auroch can charge which i mean of course they can it's a essentially an orc bull if they move at least 20 feet in a straight line and then hit with their horn attack their gore uh then they can do extra piercing damage as well and on top of that the creature that it hits uh has to do a a strength save as well or be knocked prone you mess with the bull you get the horns right so i thought it would be really interesting is if You maybe had uh, a couple of these guys, like if you were in, say, like an open battle against some orcs, you could really use an orc on on an auroch as battlefield control. I don't know if a lot of people do mounted combat, but this is an interesting way to not just have your party mounted, but to have their opponents mounted as well. I find it's very uncommon to have anything other than just, like, guys on horses fighting you when it comes to mounted combat but these are like a nice interesting flavor especially with the charge and the gore if they hit uh a, you know a player paladins for instance on a horse and they knock the horse prone what does that do to your player right like you can add extra depth to it that way as well it's it's just super interesting and of course if you have a herd of them charging towards your party i mean they are just a cr2 but like I said, they are pretty beefy. Your guys are going to have to get out of the way. There is no way to, like, stop a horde of aurochs or not. Uh, yeah, a horde. Let's go with horde of aurochs coming at you. You know, this is Mufasa trying to save Simba from all the wildebeest vibe. You could do something like that with this. Like, these things are, 
just so much more than just an orc cow. But as far as the orcs go, just orcs themselves, like these guys are the ultimate D&D bad guy. The, these are the guys that you're gonna run into. These are your fodder. This is your main mob guys. It should almost be dungeons and orcs because, you know, like orcs are so ingrained into high fantasy. You know, I think I've probably fought more orcs than I have dragons. All right, anyways, you guys, uh, I gotta go. I'm still, like I said, I'm looking up uh, some more information on this draconic prophecy. But if you guys need to get a hold of me, you can find me at the r slash it's a mimic subreddit. I'm on there most of the time. Right now, I gotta get going. I gotta go find passage to the next area. I got a couple more clues about this draconic prophecy, and I gotta start following that through. So uh, I'll catch you guys later. Adam, Dan, back to you guys. So one of the things that Dave mentioned that I really want to hit home here is this idea of this aggressive trait. Most orcs get it. No matter what type, almost everything we're going to talk about in the next two episodes get them. And it is badass and terrifying. Aggressive is one of the hallmark traits of orcs, and so it's important to understand it. It essentially breaks down to the fact that you can dash as a bonus action toward any hostile creature that you see. Yeah, but it gets scarier than that when you deal with orcs as well because... Remember, for mounted combat, it takes half your movement to mount or dismount a trained animal. Which means that, with an aggressive feature, the orc that's standing beside an auroch can mount it, charge 50 feet, then dismount using all of the orc's movement, and then use their bonus action to charge 30 feet with the aggressive feature. They can go right at an enemy, which means they can go 80 feet, assuming the auroch doesn't dash. Jeez. Aurochs, like most beasts, are unaligned, right? Which yeah, means I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, um, they're going to be, I guess, cowed by the oh, by the orcs. Um, really but, milked it for that one. But that means, uh, yeah, it was utterly horrible. Just but, grab it by the horns and go. We're going to stop now. Okay. Okay. Fuck. <laughs> that means that it would be uh, actually really fun mounts for any party who's bored of standard horses. Okay. Uh, now, the riding horse goes 50 feet around, I believe. Yes, yeah. So, aurochs do as well. Sure. That's a fast cow. That it, Well, these are not cows. Battle cows may sound <laughs> silly at first, but these are woolly, rampaging bulls with giant humps between their shoulder blades. So, anyway, my point is that DMs should make sure that you paint them in the right light the first time they're introduced so that they're not... You know, this silly kind of wacky idea. These are actually terrifying beasts. Yeah. And they're on the big side of large. They're not like a horse. They're going to dwarf a horse. Well, think about it this way. Like an orc is going to stand probably like uh, seven to eight feet tall. Seven they're not quite nine. that. They're not quite that. They're about seven. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and you want that thing to look good on a mount. Right. And be comfortable on a mount and be as intimidating on a mount. You got that guy sitting on a normal riding horse. It's going to look off. It's going to look like Dan riding a fucking Labrador. Yeah, right? Uh, like, have you ever seen uh, the mountain ride a horse in Game of Thrones? It looks a little weird. It looks a little weird. Put him on a cow. I mean, it's looking a little weird, but in a far more scary way. So, uh, let's jump over to a new voice on the podcast, who is our good friend Tyler, who's responsible for a large chunk of the music in our Call of Cthulhu series. He's a gem. He really is. Yeah. He's a workhorse, too. He's got a lot of D&D experience and is DMing multiple RPGs throughout his week, not just D&D. But right now, I think he's on the run in Exandria. Oh, what'd he do now? 
Well, I was hoping you'd have some insights into who leads an orc horde. I know that they're generally led by the biggest, smartest orc who commands the most fear and respect. After all, like we said, it's might makes right in orc life. So let's cut over to Tyler for a minute. Hey guys, this is Tyler from the Wastes of Zorhas. The amount of things out here and the stories that can be found are endless. My goodness. But I hear that today you're talking about orcs. Well, just last night, I found myself in the company of an orc tribe. Now, while being held prisoner, I mean, staying at my accommodations, I had the pleasantry of talking to the war chief. And I may have persuaded and charmed him into getting to know him better, to let me free and to him to tell me all about him and what it means to be a war chief. And he certainly told me more than I bargained for and some things I didn't really want to find out and I'm not going to get that image out of my head. Let me tell you a bit of information about him for any adventurer that might be thinking that these guys are just a pushover. Well, I can tell you, they certainly are not. If I had to put a challenge to them, to a challenge rating, it would be a four. And guys, these guys are a pile of sinew and muscle because of the crazy amount of strength that they have. And not to mention their constitution as well, which is almost just as high. And that makes perfect sense because to be the Orc War Chief, you have to be the strongest. On top of that, they also have a way of getting what they want and getting people to tell them things. And I can tell you right now, because of their high charisma, they can do this. And it's not necessarily because of good looks. Now their dexterity and wisdom are the same as any other orc, and their intelligence is pretty average compared to a human. These guys are smarter than you think. Remember, orcs are usually dimwits, this guy, this war chief, is not. They can actually think like a human. And they can plan and strategize. Think of what he could do. This is why he is the war chief. Now let's say you think, Oh, I can take him on. I'm pretty strong. I can get him. No problem. Great. If you want to try, great. He has 11 D8 plus 44 HP. And that's if you can get through his chainmail that he wears, which gives him an AC of 16. Well, you want to try and talk him down a little bit? By all means, but he has an intimidation of plus 5. I was intimidated just being there. I'm glad that I happened to be friends with him at that moment. Think you can have better luck in the dark? Nope, because they have dark vision. Why? Because they're an orc. Now let's talk about some traits of these guys. Now, they can move 30 feet regularly, but if they think for a moment while hostile towards them, guess what? They get to move an additional 30 feet as a bonus action. At which point, uh, when this orc chief comes up to you, he's going to give you a good whoomp. And it's going to be more powerful than you think, because he also has this extra power behind him. He calls Grumsh's Fury. Now, he thinks that this is a power given to him from his on high because of his savagery. Now, I thought, hey, this is a good story. I I think I'm going to tell this part. This is pretty cool, but it can't be true. Oh, but he showed me it was. Right next to him, he punched an orc in the face, barely touched him, but I could see the pain it caused him. 
I'm gonna tell you, it's probably an extra 1d8 that this thing cost. Speaking of damage, let's talk about how they attack. Well, guess what? They have a multi-attack. They can attack two times. They can either do two swings, two swings with their massive great axe. I could barely pick this thing up. This thing has a plus six to hit, a d12 of damage, plus four, and remember Grimshaw's Fury, so it's another d8 on top of that. Thoughts two heavy hits. Or if he doesn't want to, let's he also has a spear. He can gut you with a spear and then throw it at another person. This guy's pretty savage. This is why, again, he's the war chief. But on top of that, he can also let out this baleful battle cry. And it causes all those around him within 30 feet, those that he chooses, to have advantage on all attacks. That means if you're going to attack this guy and there's more people around him, he lets out this cry. Everyone gets advantage on you. And guess what? Afterwards, he gets to do a good hit on you as well. So he's going to let out this cry and then whack you and then everyone else whacks you too. Now he showed this to me by, again, releasing this howl. And it caused all those around us to suddenly come forward and they cheered and they grunted and they kept going while I made my escape. Now, I've been running all night, and I'm a little exhausted, but think about this, guys. Are you ever going to find an Orc War Chief alone? I don't think so. They're going to have all sorts of others around him as well. I'd say at least six or eight, if it's a hunting party. Now, do you really want all of those Orcs coming against you? You don't want to piss this guy off. That's something to think about, guys. You now have all these orcs against you. Let's say there's eight. They're each half CR. That's a total of four plus four of the war chief already. And you have all these numbers against you. This battle has suddenly become a lot more difficult. So next time you think you are ready to take on an orc war chief, best be ready because he's going to let out that cry. And suddenly everyone else is also against you. Speaking of which... I think I hear that cry in the background. I better get out of here while I still can. I suppose it's time I take my leave then, before he catches up to me. Until next time, guys, I'll see you in the wastes of Zorhas. Okay, so thanks, Tyler. You can tell that these orcs are special because they've got these increased saving throws. That indicates, with anything with an increased saving throw, that they're supposed to be even hardier than their stat blocks imply. Whenever you get a saving throw listed out in a stat block, it means that they're better at these saves than their modifiers show. So these are almost like they're proficient in this yeah. as well. So um, for the Orc War Chief, for example, we get a Strength of plus 6, a Con of plus 6, and a Wisdom of plus 2, which is beyond what their standard stat block would offer. Strength and Con plus 6... That's beefy considering the low CR that we are dealing. These are still tier one. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's pretty incredible. Yeah, these these are definitely not guys you want to, you know, stand and bang with, really. I'll take your word for it, Dan. Anyways, of course, the basic orc is also going to speak. They're not the dumbest. I mean, they're not the smartest or uh creatures, but they're not the dumbest. Um, a orc will speak common and orc, and so the war chief will do as well. But 
their battle cry, this battle cry mechanic, isn't going to be as awe-inspiring as you think. For one, they can only do it once a day. Yeah. And for two, it only lasts until their next turn. So use it well. Use it uh, at a good spot. But it's it's not as game-breaking as you would think. No, and honestly, this really does feel like a, a lot of these secondary creatures beyond your basic orc feel like they stand at the back of the party to get this one big signature move in mm-hmm. and then run forth. You're going to get that a lot with mobs. Yeah. Right? So when you deal with your war chief and specifically the battle cry, because it's a one-off. Do it early, then get in the fight. Yeah. And position yourself appropriately. DMs know what you're what you're dealing with yeah. here. So you want to really maximize on that. Um, now, I know everyone's heard two voices and they're all clamoring for Terry. Oh, Uncle Terry. Uncle Terry, who's, uh, I think, in Greyhawk right now getting up to some shit. So he's in Istvan. I don't know what you just said. Oh, Istvan is the city you go to when you want to get into some shit in Greyhawk. Um, no, I think that he's in the Green Dragon Inn. Oh, that's so, just as good. Yeah, he is getting his drink on in there, and I know that he's looking into something a little bit deeper because you'll notice that the War Chief was good for the might makes right mentality, but not great for the inspirational mentality. Mm, yeah, right. Um, not these guys—they don't line up with what King Obold, you know, showed us. Right about the ability to run these massive groups of people. So who are the charismatic ones there? Who's able to lead groups? Who's able to inspire? And who's going to be the advisors for the war chiefs? Terry has the answer. Thanks, Adam and Dan, for throwing it over to me. I'm over at the Green Dragon Inn, just getting ready for a little adventure myself over to Castle Greyhawk. For those of you that know me, know that I like a little adventure and I know my way around a two-handed polearm. But less about my familiarity with large weapons, and let's start talking about orcs, in particularly the Eye of Grumsh. Now, if you're looking for a little bit more depth, in your use of mobs and orcs, then here's one for you. So for those of you that don't know, when an orc slays an elf and presents that corpse as a sacrifice to Grumsh, their god, an aspect of the god may visit that orc and may demand an additional sacrifice. That'll be in the form of one of its eyes. And for sacrificing half of its mortal vision, that orc can then have additional gifts bestowed upon it, okay? That'll be uh, additional spell casting, uh, and also the ability now, the, the, the respect um, that allows them to lead and command the typically very chaotic and unorganized savagery of the orcs, okay? This is huge because now these are these are your, uh, your essentially, what I like to think of them as your the battle masters of the orcs, which is why this character type becomes so uh, so appealing to me. Because yes, I like to think enemies, but my mind also starts racing of how can I put this in for the PCs? How can I uh, take some sort of lore and, and, and put it into the game for the player characters? But let's start to take a look at stats for the Eye of Grumsh and what it means um, uh, to be an Eye of Grumsh. So you're, you're going to see a fairly strong armor class, 16 due to their ringmail and typically they would be carrying a shield. Of course that's optional, but by the law, by the books, that's how it's supposed to be. Hit points are going to be 68 plus 18 with a standard speed. As far as stats go, two highest are going to be strength and con. No surprises there, and they're fairly strong. For the middle of the road stats, we're looking at dexterity, wisdom, 
and charisma. All three of those will be higher than your average human, but definitely middle for the eye of Grunge. Lowest one, shocker again, is going to be intelligence. Only a little bit lower than what you would expect from an average human. I guess nine, so the modifier is minus one. For skills, we're looking at intimidation and religion, of course. Senses, dark vision, passive perception is going to be at, at, uh, at 11, I believe. Uh, languages are going to be common and orc. Now, I know for, for ease of the game, typically we'll come across mobs, and if the party speaks common, it's kind of expected that the orc speaking back will just speak common. That's how often dungeon masters will just speed the game up. But I think if any type of orc is not going to do that, I think it would be this one. If any type of orc is going to be so loyal to their god, they're going to try and press the conversation in orc. And as far as role-playing goes, which is often a forgotten pillar of this game, I find, one of my favorite parts of this game, um, it, it's fun to explore that because you're causing um, players to then look to spells or to try and come up with different ways of communicating. And I think you have a great excuse with an orc eye of Grumps to do that because they're going to be very devout. Um, okay, let's look at abilities here. Orc eye of Grumps are very aggressive. Okay, so that means that as a bonus action, the orc can move up to its movement speed um, towards a hostile creature that it can see. That makes perfect sense when you think about orcs charging these particular types of orcs, leading the charge, they can move as a bonus action up to their movement speed, okay? They have what's called Grumsh's Fury. That means the orc deals an additional 1d8 damage when it hits with a weapon attack, and that's just included in the attack, okay? Makes sense again, but we were talking about spell casting earlier, so let's look at that. So this particular orc, the Eye of Grumsh, is a third level spellcaster, wisdom based. Their spell save DC will be 11, as far as spells go. Cantrips, at will, guidance, resistance, thaumaturgy, sure. First level spells, they get four slots, they can do bless and command. Interesting one with bless, but I suppose it makes sense, or it makes sense to me, because they have been visited by an aspect of their god. They've been given additional gifts, and their their role is as leaders to the orcs. So a buffing spell such as Bless, to me, makes absolute sense. Second level, they get two slots. We're looking at Augury, Spiritual Weapon. Typically, the Spiritual Weapon will appear as a spear. Um, and I imagine that's because their standard weapon um, by the text is a spear. Of course, we know we have room to play with that um, in-game. Okay, so how am I looking at using Eye of Grumsh? A couple of ideas from me. I mentioned earlier that I kind of see these as the battle masters of the orcs, and I really like the idea of an aspect of the god Grumsh visiting one of the player characters. I think you have an argument to do this with a half-orc. Why not? Half-orcs um, historically wrestle with their position in society between orc society and human society, or whatever the other half of them is going to be. So why not include them in this? Maybe it'll give them a little bit of direction, or maybe it'll give them something else to wrestle with. The fact that Grumsh is sending them dreams, visions, visiting them, you know, maybe even looking at bestowing gifts on them. Of course, you don't want to break your game, but there's room to play with that there. So, um, you know, a, a Battlemaster half-orc character would be great. Also, a paladin. How about a paladin half-orc or full orc that's being visited by Grumsh, either in dreams, visions, or however you're going to do it, and Grumsh is more than likely not going to be the god that that player character has sworn an oath to or sworn themselves to in their service. How about that for a little bit, uh, a little bit something interesting? So I mean, we have these options here, such as I Grumsh, to play um, as enemies. But I always look to see how I can put this in uh, for my own players uh, in their game. And guys, that's it from me. Heading up to Castle Greyhawk. I just got to get another stout in me. <laughs>
<laughs> and I'll be on the way up. And I'll catch you guys next time if I'm not dead, because this bum knee's still bothering me. Adam and Dan, it's back to you. Okay, so they have Thaumaturgy, Guidance, Command. All of those are great leadership spells, but it's also an orc with a spiritual weapon. Like, holy shit, these guys are terrifying on the battlefield. You, you don't really expect to see that, do you? No. No, that's completely out of, out of left field. And this is where you start to get the idea that if these are divine casters, mm-hmm. right? Well, they're favored by their god at this point, right? Like, Anaya Groomsh is missing the eye. Yeah, but you don't always get that. I mean, you get gnolls that are favored by Yinagu, and you've got uh, goblinoids are favored by their entire pantheon. But they all get arcane magic, right? This is divine magic, specifically from a god. And so, um, like a specific god that blesses them in a specific way. There are rituals here. Yeah, I feel that that bleeds into the fact that they're shamanistic, and they're very, very spiritual as a culture. And you're going to see that more weirdly in the Eye of, uh, sorry, almost said the Eye of Yanogu. That's a different thing. Um, weirdly in the Eye of Groomsh and not the War Chief. Yeah. Right? Well, the War Chief is almost like the um, the Prime Material Leader and the Eye of Groomsh is the representative. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but the Eye of Groomsh does not lead the Horde. They are just advisors. They're they are the Jafar to the Sultan. Right? Yeah. Like, you'll probably have one or two of these guys for every war chief, but, like, yeah, you're not going to have a full army of them. Now, one of the other things that's important to notice here, and this is for DMs that want to mix it up, because it is supposed to be um, guys with spears, right? Like, that. traditionally speaking, the Eye of Groups has a spear. So... They don't have to. Oftentimes, DMs will swap weapons out because they like the damage better. Yeah. They want to do bludgeoning because this person's immune to slashing or whatever it is. But in there's a trait that the Eye of Groomsh has, Groomsh's Fury, that it says it adds 1d8 damage when it hits with the weapon. But that's already included in the spear attack that's listed in the stat block. So... This should be added to any weapon attack of any other weapon the Eye of Groomsh may use, but this doesn't apply to the spiritual weapon because it's a spell and not a weapon attack. This is basically the way I the way I read Groomsh uh, Groomsh's Fury. Pluralizing that guy's name is a nightmare. But yeah, you've been all over the map. Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, but the way I view it is this is divine smite. This functions the same as like if you got a war cleric or you got a paladin of high enough level, they just instinctually add that D8 every single attack. That's the same thing here. It's just on the CR2 creature is going to thump you. It's it's nuts that they get this. Okay, so we've looked at orcs and we've looked at their mounts, their tribal leaders and the leaders advisors slash hype men, I what, guess. What? Yeah, but... Give it up for... <laughs> can, I, can I get a whoop whoop mark? <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's talk about the other side of the coin. That here, dude's okay? getting thrown out of the <laughs> tribal camp. The mo- I just I can see Asterix I, Comics. What, what was his name? Uh, obelisk. It was Asterix and Obelisk. Well, there's there's Obelisk Asterix, but they're they're barred that they kept on like throwing oh, up I a don't tree. Know. I don't know. Farfetched or something like that? I don't, I don't know. know. In my head, is Jazzy Jeff getting thrown out of the fucking mansion. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, you can just picture an orc, too, walking out with, like, sunglasses and a backwards hat and, like, gold chains. <laughs> right? 
with a with a fucking stick carved like a microphone. Yep. I love it. Anyway, so let's look at the other side of the coin, though, okay? We let's know. look at who takes care of the daily goings-on in an orc horde and what happens when a horde is temporarily between chiefs. Okay, so let's jump over to the yawning portal where Brad is sneaking around and listening to some rumors. When he beat boxes, he's literally beating a box. Not even touching that. <laughs> Hello, friends. Brad here, checking in from the yawning portal here in Waterdeep. I'm checking up on the latest news and rumors here from my buddy Dernan. Most of these rumors I'm not willing to spread until they can be verified, but I do tend to trust Dernan. One thing he has told me about is a new variant of the Orog Orc that's been found deep in the dungeon of the Mad Mage below the yawning portal. Few adventurers have returned, but the ones that have have brought back some troubling reports. For those of you who are unaware of the Orog Orcs, let me bring you up to speed. Orogs are believed to be, among orcs anyways, a gift from Luthic, the wife of Grumush, and mother of all orcs. They possess exceptional strength, even among orcs, and an also an intellect far surpassing their kin. Orogs are often seen as a threat by warchiefs, and are often killed off while they are young. Because of this, it is common for orogs to be protected by the priestesses of Luthic, until they are strong enough to defend themselves. The fear of the warchiefs is largely unwarranted, as orogs exist as a balancing force. They're protectors, and their main priority is to guard the tribe and lair while the rest of the orcs go out raiding. An Orog will take up a leadership role during times of turmoil, such as when a warchief dies or during infighting within a tribe. The goal of an Orog, much like Luthic herself, is to keep the tribe together, which if you know anything of orcs, is no simple task. Orogs are known to go rogue, especially if they are not adopted early by the priestesses of Luthic. As they possess superior strength and intellect, they can easily find themselves taking control of a clan or leaving it all together to become a mercenary. They are formidable opponents in battle, and their intelligence often catches their opponents off guard. They can formulate battle lines and military strategies that are generally unexpected, and if a hand of Aurochs can get together, they can rout almost any opponent. All that being said, let's take a quick look at the Aurochs stat block. Aurochs are medium-sized humanoids, orcs, with a CR rating of 2. By default, they lean towards being chaotic evil, but play them as you may, that's not hard set. Aurochs are often in plate mail, giving them an AC of 18, making them really tough target to hit. They have fairly strong strength and constitution scores, surpassing almost all other orcs. They have dexterity and charisma scores higher than your average human, with their lowest stat being wisdom, which is actually on par with your average human. The most interesting stat for orogs, though, is their intelligence, which is higher than your average human, which puts them miles ahead of your average orc. They are skilled in intimidation and survival, and like all other orcs, they have dark vision. They speak common and orc. As a special ability, orogs are aggressive, which allows them to move as a bonus action as long as it is towards a hostile creature. This effectively gives them a double move. They are fast with a base speed of 30. They carry a great axe which they can attack with twice per action thanks to a multi-attack. Or they can make a single javelin attack. Make note here that their multi-attack only applies to great axe attacks. If you choose to attack with any other weapon, single attack. Orogs are an awesome option to use in your campaigns. Personally, I would use them as either defenders of an orc lair, who are available for conversation should your party choose to go that way, or you could use them as a wandering mercenary NPC. Don't even be afraid to use maybe three or four of these guys in an adventuring party of their own, maybe as an opponent to your player party, or just a balance of power to keep the party in check. I mentioned earlier that Durnan's heard rumors of some orocs deep in the Mad Mage's dungeon. The adventurers have returned have reported seeing what they're calling space orocs. They are aurochs for all intents and purposes, but they seem to have taken to wearing helmets resembling mind flare heads with glass eye holes and tentacle-like breathing tubes, unnerving to be sure. Should you dare to brave the dungeon of the Mad Mage, be wary of these creatures. 
Let me know if you've ever come across an Orok or two in your adventures. I'd love to hear how you use them as a DM or how you dealt with them as a player. You can find me on Instagram at Clueless Game Master or on the subreddit once in a while. Best of luck, adventurers. Until next time, Godspeed. Back to you in the Guildhouse, Adam and Dan. Okay, I got to agree with Brad on this. Chaotic Evil as a default feels wrong for the role they play within the tribe. They feel like they lean closer to the, I want to say lawful, so they're going to probably land in the neutral side of things. Okay. But the idea that they're going to, in times of chaos in the horde, they're going to maintain control and order until, it's almost like they're voting a new pope in, right? And so you've got all the cardinals come together. Mm -hmm. That's what the Orog feels like to me, right? That they are stepping up. Also, in the artwork and the flavor text, Orogs are apparently female. Hmm. Specifically, now I don't think that's necessarily like it doesn't say that anywhere. No, right? But I think that it leans really heavily in that direction, especially with their connection to Luthic, because the claw of Luthic, which we'll talk about next episode, um, is also very much. Um, they, those would have to be female. They're linked to Luthic as well. Yeah, I right? mean, so, you, you see orogs. They are they're often the uh, um, ones managing these spawning pits and stuff as well. So. Like it they fits. feel like a den mother in a yeah, lot of ways. Very, very much. Again, they do not have to be. No. Um, he also, I mean, Brad focused heavily on the social aspect of these guys, but he really undersold this. Uh, he really undersold how tough the orogs are. They're not just weak den mothers. These guys, in comparison to a regular orc who has 2d6, uh, 2d8 plus 6 hit points uh, with an average of 15, an orog has 5d8 plus 20. It's ridiculous. They um, that puts them almost at par with the Eye of Groomsh. That's forty-two on average. Yeah, the Eye of Groomsh has I want to say forty-five. So, but that's like three times what a regular orc does. So these guys are beefy. Yeah, um, and in a might makes right kind of culture, people are going to listen to what an orc has to say. I mean, there's still no war chiefs in terms of hardiness. But their armor and stats definitely mean they will last through the first or second round of combat with a tier one party. Especially when you get more than one of these at a time. Uh-huh. So you know who can go toe-to-toe with an Oak War Chief, though? Megan. Yep. No, seriously, just Megan. That's it. Megan is our next monster. So uh, the last we heard... <laughs> I'm not touching it. <laughs> no? I hear the belch of anger coming up the street right now. <laughs> The last we heard from Megan, she was digging around beneath Castle Ravenloft in Barovia. She's apparently dug up some details on a demonic aspect that some orc tribes possess. Hey everyone, it's Megan here. Uh, spending some time in solitude here in Barovia. Um, just kidding. Uh, I took on a little project to help identify some of the bodies here in the caverns of the Castle of Ravenloft. Um, it's pretty quiet. Like, eerily, really quiet. Um, but anyways, um, I've been doing some reading here in my spare time, and I came across some neat info about a demon-slash-orc combo. Like, super weird. Um, they're actually called Tanaruk. There are many theories on how these dudes actually came to be. Some say they're from the Hellgate itself. Some say they are willed into existence by dark thoughts and experiences, or that they're just, like, turned evil on their own. Lolos does say that Baphomet himself holds the secret to how these actually came to be and only reveals these secrets to those actually willing to divulge power to him. But the key takeaway here is that they are half demon, half orc, born into basically a corrupt orc, which is super creepy and super cool. Um, they even look creepy, like extra dark, extra beefy, extra sharp tusks, uh, like the full nine yards. 
Uh, even their skin acts as armor. So like, who needs armor when you have skin of steel, right? And all this beefiness and armor makes these guys like intense fighters, crazed fighters even. Some would even say like chaotic crazed fighters, chaotic evil crazed fighters. To the point that even their own tribes will actually keep them in captivity for their own safety, which um, feels like a terrible life, but that's fine. And here you can't even just breed out the corruptness. So uh, it's basically like being born with a bad seed and you can actually pass it down um, to the next orc generation. You can even skip a generation. It's kind of like a strategic genetic mutation once it's actually in the blood. So they're few and far between, but you definitely see families of these things if you needed to. Um, so how scary would it be to be in battle and you see all these orcs retreat um, and your team gets a breath of fresh air and suddenly they release these guys from their cages? Like, even with only a CR rating of 5, it's still very, very frightening. So to get to the specifics about these guys, um, they are quite resilient. So strength, dex, and con um, is their strongest ability scores, followed by a low intelligence and charisma. Kind of just below average, so not like intensely stupid, shall we say. So, But these guys are definitely built as tanks to take a punch and to actually deliver a punch. So as per any orc, they are also considered aggressive. So they will have that ability to close that gap between you um, if he considers you to be aggressive in any way, shape, or form. And that's a key thing to remember here. That's if the orc thinks that you are being aggressive. Um, it has nothing to do with how you feel you are reacting to this thing. If it thinks that you are going to be aggressive towards it, it will attack you and it will hurt you and it will try to kill you. Um, and honestly, these guys wield like giant great swords with a huge plus seven to hit. So once you get hit by these guys, it's going to be tough to come back from it, especially if you're a, a nice little squishy. And then on top of that, these guys just don't take too lightly to being in like hit. Like in fact, they have something called unbridled fury, meaning any melee attack that lands, they can actually respond with a melee attack with advantage back. So <laughs> it's almost like you are being punished for hitting it so your fighters and your barbarians are going to be right in the middle of throws of the fight um they're going to have quite a big challenge with this depending on your level and how your team is going to help support you right so here's the thing i actually want to see these guys more as big bad guys uh within campaigns because it just feels like the, the rarity of their existence feels like it bodes a little bit more of a deeper and intense story that can be built, especially because they do have somewhat of a connection to gods. Um, so orcs are known to have god worshippings and uh, be part of cults and followings. They're mob mentality guys, right? So um, they usually have a reason for existing, which is what, what I love about orcs. So I feel like you could build a campaign um, around a horde of these being led by a giant Tanarak that you have to come and fight at the end. It could be a good little one-shot for some for some lower-level characters uh, where this guy ends up being your final battle. And I just feel like I don't see this enough. I feel like we use orcs for any reason to just to fight as fodder or, you know, just to have a mob come at you and feel successful when I feel like you could use these guys to really spice things up, even if you just threw one in there. So, like, could you imagine if you raided an orc camp um, or you were actually on the orcs team and you actually wanted to help save a couple of orcs and they find one of these in captivity and you release it by accident thinking that you're saving it uh when really it's just gonna come and fuck you the heck up um it, and you just gotta picture it like it's blood and guts everywhere so um I, i'm in love with these guys at this point like i don't want to fight a regular orc or see a regular orc in any of my campaigns anymore i just want to see a whole bunch of these guys 
Anyways, I'm going to get back to my tomb reading. There's a lot to do in so little time. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, feel free. Yeah, you can find me at Omega O. So that's zero M-E-G-A zero um, on Instagram. But I would love to hear actually from you guys, uh, Adam, Dan, what do you think of these dudes and how would you use them in your campaigns? Now, the Tanneric is particularly beefy, but you're probably going to hit it. It only has an AC of 14, but it's got 10 D8 plus 50 hit points to more than make up for that. On top of that, the Demonic Heritage grants resistance to fire and poison, and it also has magic resistance, which grants it advantage on saving throws against spells and other magical effects. It doesn't get any dark vision beyond the standard orc range of 60, but when it comes to languages, it gets to also speak Abyssal, hearkening back to its demonic heritage. On top of the common and orc? On top of the common and orc, yeah. I These guys, I feel, are, are deeper and more guttural and, like... They're, they're scary. Yeah. Just through and through. Um, interestingly, because it's listed as both a demon and an orc, just sidebar, not even fucking fairy dragons get fairy and dragon. This is unique that it gets two. Really? That almost never fucking happens no. in 5th in edition. Like, even, like, gnoll skeletons, the witherlings, yeah. are, are just undead. skeletons. They're yeah. just undead, yeah. So, um, but because it's listed as both a demon and an orc... It would definitely be affected by spells and class features that target fiends specifically, like the ranger's primeval awareness or protection from evil and good and things like that. So it's something to keep in mind. It's not going to help you against the rest of the orcs, but one of these guys moving through a massive group of these, Mm -hmm. of like of the horde and whatnot, you might be able to get a couple of really interesting um, one-off spells or or, um, protective things up against this one thing to hold it at bay while you deal with the minions. Do you have any other thoughts about these, I guess, six creatures that we've covered so far? The orc, the auroch, the orog. They don't make it fucking easy, do they? No, no, they don't. The war chief, the eye of Groomsh, and the tanneruk. Honestly, uh... Surprise, surprise, Adam. I love orcs. Really? Yeah. Um, in every single last one of my campaigns, orcs feature heavily. Just because I love using them. I love the way their society builds. Um, I love the fact that 5e has devoted so much attention to them so that we can see how their society builds and we could we have enough to grab onto to build a full campaign based around um, massive uh, combining of tribes or raids or or whatever like orcs taking over a dwarven stronghold and you needing to go in and get you know the stronghold f- cleared out is campaign arc worthy like previous editions have had orcs just as kind of that filler these aren't filler these are fleshed out these are interesting and you see the different steps and you see how their culture kind of interacts with each other Based off the basic orcs, which we have here. This is why I thought it was so important to run a massive series on these mobs. Because people see these guys as cannon fodder. And if you're running them properly, they're not. They're not at all cannon fodder. No. This is a fully functioning society. It's a civilization. We have a complicated power structure here as well between the war chief who's advised by the eye of groomsh the orog who's there to, to help out when a war chief isn't cutting it mm-hmm. the rest of the orcs it you know the war chief is almost um like beholden to the other orcs they will overthrow them in a heartbeat if they think they're weak i honestly the way i've always seen war chiefs is they are a figurehead a person to blame yeah they're strong and often the strongest in the tribe but 
they're, they've got this bit of danger of if I make one misstep, if I have one thing go not my way, like there's a whole idea of their war wagon falling out of their command and yeah. then the entire tribe just turning on them because they've lost it. Man, like they're on the raggedy edge and they know it. It's interesting to me to think about how these eye of these eyes of Grumsh and these um, these Orogs would play a role politically when a war wagon goes missing. How do they react when it's time to overthrow a war chief? Mm-hmm. Do they defend the war chief to maintain control, or do they make a power play for themselves? Yeah, right. And Orogs and and uh, the Eye of Grumsh won't because they have distinct roles already. So they've got to have almost someone else to push up in there, right? Yeah, a- there's that there's that one other gullible orc that they could still tell what to do, right? Because quite often I don't think that war chief is going to be the 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 idea man. What do you think the uh, Eyes of Grumsh are going to do when a Tanneric is leading? Because a Tanneric won't listen. No, right? And the Tanneric doesn't give off. Fuck what Grumsh is saying, right? He's out for uh, Baphomet and I, for, for his yeah. own bloodlust. I, I view I view Tanerix, uh almost as a weapon that is just unleashed and directed by an orc tribe. Uh, you, it's at the end of Avengers. We're like, yeah, well, we got a Hulk. Yeah, right. right. We, we got a Tanneric come well, at I, us. I have the whole idea of like they they have like six orcs with chains based around this thing, trying to hold it in. Uh, at bay, it's like the and goblins they, with the with the cave troll yeah, in in exactly Mor- yeah. in, uh, Moria, and it, it is just as likely to turn and eat one of the orcs as it is to attack you. One of the things, yeah, absolutely. I like, and because of the demonic connection there, you're really going to get more of the chaos yeah. as well. The last thing that I kind of want to say about the, these crazy power structures and and things that the orcs are running with is this has the capability to be at least a tier two campaign just based on the 5e lore. Yeah. We really, people give Forgotten Realms a lot of shit these days. As a standard, basic, catch-all fantasy setting Mm -hmm. for D&D, it kind of does everything 70% well. And look, Sword Coast Adventures guy did not fucking help. I have a feeling that's one of the main reasons why people think that. Like, you dig into the lore that you find in Volos, you dig into the lore that you find just in the pages of the Monster Manual, and you will see that the Forgotten Realms is built a lot more interesting than people are giving it credit for. Yeah, and it's too bad that we are not getting proper lore books to help people out with this, um, because we've got a lot of really interesting things going on when it comes to orcs. But before we move on to the next portion... I just want to say thanks to everyone who helped on this episode. We miss having you guys here with us. And we hope everyone is staying safe and happy out there. I just want to remind everyone that you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash It's a Mimic on Reddit. You can always reach out to us through our email at info at It's a Mimic.com because we love hearing from you guys and any questions that you send us will get added to our lists for any upcoming mailbag episodes. So, Adam, we have um, talked about all of the orc structures we've talked about all these other things but i want to uh roll dice now because hey it's still the it's mimic podcast we still need to roll dice um and i want to talk specifically first about the structure of the mob we now have an idea of what's in your average orc mob short of these ones that we'll be covering next week how would you build your orc mob let's grab our dice and uh talk about it I got a natural one. <laughs> and I got a two. You won with a two. There we go. I yes, I did. Um, and you lose by one. 
Uh, let me see. So are you talking social or are you talking like mechanical? I'm like, talking... Like um, encounter, combat? Uh, I Or you just want the horde? I just want the horde. I just want to know, like, if you have a horde on the edges of the society that your party's on and one ranger comes in and just details what's in that horde, what is he telling the party? There's going to be a war chief. Okay, and the war chief is going to have I'm going to say 60 orcs just because I like 60. It's a nice it's a nice round number yeah. and it, it doesn't sound round at first, but it's divisible by 1 2 3 4 5 6 10 and 12. So it makes building encounters really easy for separating out. Okay. When it, when it comes to hordes and you're doing the math and when you're getting waves after waves of small enemies and whatnot, go uh, 60. Go 60. 60 is a nice number to have a multi-session mini arc okay so um there's going to be a war chief the war chief is going to be surrounded by i'm going to say four one for every 15 people um of either an orog or an eye of grumsh they kind of fill the same advisor role you'd say well no i would say that there would be um depending on how much advice that he tolerates or needs and how much he uh how big the horde is that doesn't combat right yeah. so if there are a number of um elderly or sickly now orcs don't really they wouldn't necessarily hold on to these people for very long no but if there are a number of slaves or they're using them as slave labor or they're going to just keep them on for simple breeding stock for the next little bit until they hit the next yeah. you know village or whatever it is they're going to have more orogs as opposed to more um more eyes of grumsh I would really think about adding a Tanneric or or two even, depending on the size of the party and the level they're on. Yeah. If I've got six you know, level eight party members, yep, two Tanneric's, no problem. If it's four level four, <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. They can barely handle the War Chief by themselves. Yeah. And you can start to see how the action economy and whatnot, we talked about that in episode 100. Yeah. The action economy is really working against you when it comes to these mobs. Even a C or a level six party is going to go up against one war chief and probably five of these standard orcs. Yep. And, and that's, that's going to be a, that's going to be a fight. Yep. I mean, it's an average fight, but you're going to do it over and over and over again. You do it three or four times. You need a rest. You need a rest badly. Well, I, I see the war chief, uh, when I'm thinking encounters and stuff like that, I, I see the war chief being, um, one of the last ones you do. And when I have, when I build my encounters, I like to kind of tier them up. So like I'll have four low level, just basic orcs and two of them are going to be using bow and arrows and the other one's going or to be javelins, using, or javelins standard, or yeah. whatever. Um, like we said, it mixed, uh, interchange weapons with your mobs if you need to. Right? Yeah. Um, but then you're going to have like either for a lower level party, one eye of grooms or one, Orog or oh yeah um, no I was just designing right. the whole horde yeah, You're not yeah no, no, see no, all meant, of them I'm, at once I meant yeah. just for like an encounter like I do want that step up I I don't see the war chief being anything but like the big boss encounter right because um, remember he's also going to be collecting all of the best loot all of the best stuff which means he's going to have items he's going to have consumables he's going to have protection on top of everything yeah right? and he's also going to have the ability to pull the ripcord and release the tanner yep and uh i would with every single war band that i kind of put together here or tribe depending on what the goal of that tribe is is kind of how i balance out that eye of groom's orog chart 
Right? Yes, and so yeah, the size, the size of of the um, number of minions is going to be the big deal here, right? Mm. That's going to tell me how many leaders that I need. The other thing to keep in mind too, when you're building this, is the aurochs. The aurochs are how you are going to get your reinforcements in fucking quickly, mm-hmm. right? At a hundred feet around. And then, remember, aggressive on top of that. Yep. Um, you can just go absolutely nuts on covering battlefields very, very quickly. But the Aurochs are only going to be dangerous when mounted. Because they're unaligned. If you don't fuck with an Auroch, it's not. it doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Right? It's going to sit there and wait. It'll probably move away from battle slowly, sauntering away where it's safe. Or it's going to get all worked up and attack the nearest thing, which might even be an orc. Yeah. Right? So I include them as the additional CR for almost like one round until the orc gets off. Mm-hmm. Or if it's mounted combat, they're they're there for the entire time. So um, I wouldn't add a war wagon to anything less than 60. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that one. And like, like, I, like we kind of laid it out here, at least 50 of these um, members of the horde... Are just standard orcs. Yeah. Now they may have different weapons, and they may come with different leaders and lieutenants, and they'll some of them may be mounted, but they are standard orcs. This is why I like the um, bracketed two uh, d eight uh, plus I think six. Yeah. Right. As opposed to just going with the standard fourteen, I will actually roll up different stats. If I'm going to hit you with fifty orcs over and over and over again across multiple encounters for two different sessions, three different sessions. I'm going to vary the details of them. Well, you you would have to because then you have your party sitting there going, well, we just did 12 damage to that one. We know he's got two left. Yeah, exactly. Right? right? No, no, motherfucker, you don't know he's got two yet left. You just killed that one and he only had nine. That guy's got 16. What are you going to do about it? So I'm going to pre-roll ahead of time a bunch of... Um, hit points for these guys and then every once in a while i'm going to give one a better piece of armor yeah so their ac is going to be a little bit higher right and i'm going to make them just a little bit louder enough to show that there's some variety yeah the players are going to know that this guy feels different he's not really a boss but he's going to just swing harder and they will go after that when you say that guy is an extra three inches taller than the others he bellows loudly and charges he's not moving faster he's not hitting harder he just has plate mail and he's louder and he's got he's wearing lifts right <laughs> but i guarantee that everyone that plays a video game is going to target him first yep right and then you're going to get that that orog or that uh that eye of grunch is going to get in there and start really fucking with your with your players yeah. right and i mean we did also mention um that there are going to be a lot of other races that could fill out the ranks as well. I really don't feel like I need them, you, though, because a lot of them was, are just big, beefier versions of orcs. And we have the Tanneruk, and we have the Orog. Yep. And, right? I, I like, and I was going to mention that, is like it, that, a lot of them, if you're looking for uh, filling out the, the flavor of it, sprinkle in a couple ogres or a troll or two. Like, there's reasons why these would be in the group, but you don't need it. Yeah, and, I, and I almost don't like to do that so that I can have ogre encounters feel unique and different and not just feel like big, beefy, super well, orcs. Well, this, this is my 40k bleeding in, and, and we talked about how goblins and orcs don't really get along based off the lore, but I can't get over the fact that an orc, your standard orc, is going to want something to kick around. Have a couple goblins in that camp? That's what half-orcs are for, man. Uh, yes and no, because half-orcs... 
can also be that big beefy might make oh, right and pull their weight just as much. They absolutely can, but right? they, all, they. I mean, I think you're right. They would have a a footstool jester, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that it would be uh, an elf or a dwarf, or you know that they've got three halflings on one rope that they just tug on the rope and oh, they all start. Screaming. Just imagine that one shaved dwarf that has to entertain the war chief. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That and kind it's not of a thing. good shave; like it's patchy. It's like Terry on a good day. <laughs> Is that what Terry calls a beard? Yeah, yeah. So we also see uh, some options in the DMG for homebrewing additional mob members and everything else here. This goes into making orc player characters because we got half orcs. It's also but... for adding things like commoner, spy, um, even noble, like yeah. the NPC stack like blocks. what to apply to those to bring in, them in. Yeah, in yeah. order to have it be an orc, which a lot of time doesn't fucking apply, but there are like berserker ones out there. Mm-hmm. And like, there are some that could apply. I don't think you're going to get barred. Now, orcs, any but... single time that you're bringing it in, you're supposed to give it a boost of strength plus two. You're supposed to drop its intelligence by two and give it aggressive. The only other thing I wanted to mention briefly here is their... Uh, becoming a if you're rolling a player character that is a full-blooded orc uh, the one thing that surprised me there is the stats they get this idea of the strength increasing by two the um the strength increasing by two the constitution increasing by one and then the intelligence score being reduced as a player character you don't see that anywhere really i mean orcs by far aren't a um base race as it is so i mean there's there's a little bit of weirdness but the stuff you get for an orc is pretty much all of the same uh uh, half orc stuff but you're still losing this intelligence modifier do you want to speak in on that at all adam does that track for you yeah and i know that with with tashes that just came out that doesn't apply anymore okay losing the intelligence modifier but i'm sorry it totally stacks when it comes to to home brewing and whatnot. Mm-hmm. If we look over at what the um, player abilities are, like what players get, they they get they get some weird stuff that the uh, that the regular orc stat block doesn't yeah. get. But the decrease in intelligence is is something that stacks that tracks. That's normal and right. Yeah, I mean the the big thing that kind of sticks out to me. I mean, an orc player with aggressive. Yeah. Okay. You get it. I, I I'm mean, happy with it. You might. Just, it's like getting a one of the rogue things, right? You could just dash on your bonus action. Sure, yeah. you do. You. Uh, sorry, the one that kind of bothers me is the powerful build. What is it for the people that don't know? Um, so, what powerful build is? You count as one size category larger for the uh, for like strength checks and carrying capacity checks and those things, right? Um, that is something that I guess makes a little bit of sense with orcs because they're bigger and beefier, but goliaths get that that's a goliath thing to me that's not an orc thing well i guess they're trying to differentiate between orcs and half orcs it's weird to me that that is not included in the damn stat block for a standard orc Mm -hmm. and i would say that if you capture an orc the moment that you get out of regular combat as a dm they've taken a captive or they i don't know somehow befriend an orc Mm -hmm. you know and they become an actual npc in the party Give them powerful build. The idea that they get this increased carrying capacity and they can push, pull, and drag more things. Yep. Like that gives them more purpose as a as an NPC mechanically. Yeah. And there's so few mechanical purposes to NPCs that are just built right into it. So 
I would really apply this to everything. And again, that doesn't fucking change the CR. No. This should just have been a part of every orc in the first place. I agree. In my opinion. Yeah. If you're going to have it here, do it there as well. All right, Adam. Let's talk about some plot hooks and campaign uses here. Let's grab the dice and talk about... um, Let's give us two plot hooks for using orcs in your campaign first, okay? Let's roll the dice. I got a... Eight, and you got a four. I got a four. All right, you're up first. Um, I'm going to lean on this idea of a Tanneric and the fact that there will be a Tanneric loose in a town. Local orc tribe got, uh, or, or in a forest nearby or something, local orc tribe lost control of their Tanneric and are fleeing from it, and your party's being tasked to go and take care of it. I I have some trouble thinking that they would flee from it. The Tanric is not dumb, necessarily. They're not bestial. They are supposed to be leaders. They're just cruel mm. leaders, right? So I like the idea of the Tanric not necessarily being, like, breaking free, but just saying, enough of this. I'm going to this civilization and telling you, or telling them where the rest of the orcs are so they can exterminate you. Anyone who wants to live, follow me. Uh, I guess that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Cool. So um, it's the problem that I see a lot of new players uh, running minotaurs kind of kind of run into yeah, as well. Yeah. The idea that they're dumb, big hulking beasts because that's what we're used to seeing in pop culture. Yeah, and they're not. They're intelligent. They're smart. They're people. They're like comic book Bane, not Batman Returns Bane, or mm-hmm. sorry, Batman and Robin Bane. Yes. Yeah, uh, we, Bomb. we nearly had an issue. Bomb. Yeah. I would almost say that they're they're more um, Dark Knight Rises Bane. Comic book Bane is a strategist and he's brilliant. And Dark Knight Rises is just kind of a... He's just a dude with muscles and a speech impediment. And he owns a hole in the ground. Yeah. Uh, but but I can definitely see where, where you're coming from with the Tanneric on the loose. One of the things that I would like to, to see as a plot hook... A uh, way to drag people in is to have an Orog sitting at a bar trying to hire adventurers to rescue the younglings. Okay, yeah. Because they don't agree with whoever is leading the tribe right now. Oh, I like that, yeah. Like, this is not a big campaign arc. This is just a, I need you guys to go in there and infiltrate. When I've got a party of a bard, a monk, a ranger, and a rogue, everything is infiltration-based, Right? I'm, this is the kind of thing I'm going to send them in to go do. And the one incredibly overconfident paladin. <laughs> no, the point was they would be sneaky. And the overconfident paladin is just kicks the door open and says, Huzzah! <laughs> Hello, my name is Distraction! <laughs> he's, just, he's just Terry. <laughs> he's, he's Terry at the bar. Okay, what about a full campaign idea? Okay, let's... I got four. I got a five. We're not rolling well tonight. No, we're not. Okay, so my full campaign idea when it comes to orcs is going to be based around the idea that war chiefs have to be displaced. Now, I did this in an evil campaign, so I kind of lean in this direction with evil anyway. But I do not see why a powerful, I'm going to say CR or, or level seven or eight player, keeping in mind that they're supposed to be as half as powerful as a regular orc. Yeah. So they're as powerful as 14 or 16 orcs, right, at this point. So level 7 or 8, they challenge the war chief to one-on-one combat. It's a good fight because they're CR4, right, versus a single uh, party member, right? Yeah. So that's a, that's a good fight. 
But of course, the player will win that. They just have more hit points. Yeah. They're just going to be able to have more spells or whatever it is. And that half-orc takes over the horde. Oh, okay. Why not? Now, all of your NPCs, you don't go back to town. You bring your town with you. You've got your war wagon, which, I mean, they're going to sink money into and beef it up with players with a war wagon, right? Give that opportunity to any player group and they will take it. Everybody's got an auroch, right? You have aurogs and eyes of groomsh who are there to uh, give advice. These are your named NPCs that are running around. Um, you, and you can deal with the idea that like they are training 12-year-olds to be child soldiers, right? They are dealing with the idea that, oh, hey, that guy broke his leg. Kill him and leave him in the dirt, right? And like, how do your how do how does your party deal with this? Mm-hmm. As an evil party, they may be all over that, but remember that weakens the horde every single time. They've actually got management shit to worry about now, especially when one of the mothers gives birth to a Tanaruk. Oh, they're gonna have issues. They're gonna have issues. Yeah, that issue is gonna come back and bite you in the ass when everything revolts on you against you when an Eye of Grumsh decides to. Back the Tanneruk, who's still an infant, but they're putting up a child king, essentially, against you around level 12 or 13. And now you have a whole horde to fight. Yeah. This is where I get my intrigue. I can use these six um, creatures for an entire campaign, really, between late tier 2 and early tier 3. I could go with that for a while. Mm Mm-hmm. For me, I like the idea of um, having your party slowly facilitate, um, almost indirectly, the uniting of tribes. Um, and they build themselves up this big bad of this one massive mega tribe along the same line of what Obold Many Arrows would have had. And then that becomes entrenched in a mountain elven uh, refuge, a lot like uh, Rivendell, right? That we see with like, flowing rivers and and beautiful architecture just now it is overrun with orcs and your party now has to gather up all of these displaced peoples that have come out of the woodwork because of and my axe yeah right well it's and it's also come out of the woodwork because of the decisions they made that indirectly set up this mega thing and then they have to attack assault the city get to the war chief who at the very end of the day is probably going to be someone they've known about since level one who goes, guys, you you put me here. I'm here because of you. Thank you. Yeah. Ultimately, thank you. Do you guys want to be my generals? Right? You made it here. You proved that you're stronger. You could be my general. I mean, you kick that guy's ass and do, he's do you, half Do demon. you think that that is a normal thing for orcs to do? Like, as long as you... If you're willing to cut your eye out for Groomsh, oh, I will make you a general. Yeah. You are stronger than the others. Here. Yeah. I, I, I don't see a smart war chief. A smart warband leader coming to that conclusion where he's like you kick the ass of all those guys i need to stay in power and if you guys are on my side we're good now i've got a tanneric over here i've yeah. i've i've got these other monsters over here that i could i could call on so either you cut out your eye and join me or we're gonna have a brawl now right and it's not gonna go well for you guys because weighted against you and i know the train better than you do so you say that also there's like 190 of us so yeah right 
I, I, I don't know much about the economy, but the action economy says. <laughs> um, and you said that you wouldn't have a dumb one do this, or you would have a dumb one? I would not have a dumb one. No, do this, 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 this is one of the smarter ones. Right? I mean, the, uh, I feel like any war chief might hear the whisper of this plan from an eye of Grosh. Yes. Yeah. No, and, and there's definitely going to be that, like, Jafark character edging on this decision-making process. It's funny, you know, I don't even necessarily see it as Jafar so much as just the... Uh, Grima the, worm tongue? Uh, no, it, not sniveling, not not weaselly like yeah, that. Okay. These are orcs. It's going to be... This is the one that says, this is not the way that we do these. This is the smart decision to make, right? And just like the totally blunt... He's, he's just a better tactician. Yeah. Right? He is... Played by Michael Ironside. <laughs> He's not stupid. He is just... He knows the way that this should work. He sees the path to victory. And he is not going to go by you know, the shadowy uh, path at night. He is going to just fucking do it. Yeah. Right? Here it is. Let's goddamn go. Right? And I feel like that is how orcs are. When it comes to goblins, yeah, they're whispering in your ear. Yeah. Right? Kobolds oh. are sniveling and... and conniving and shit as well but orcs that's not what they're for like i say a klingon wouldn't scheme if orcs ever caught another orc sneaking around and plotting behind someone else's back that orc would get fucking murdered they get ripped apart yeah. right the correct way of doing this is to bring it before the council so we can all get in the middle of the ring and and, and beat this out with our bare fists in front of everyone right like that that should be the way that they call everyone, blow the horns, we will settle this dispute yeah. now, right? Murder in the middle of the night in an orc tribe is disingenuous. It's sneaky. It's That's Coralon shit. That's not Groomsh <laughs> shit, right? So that I, I, I agree. I think that's a great idea for a campaign. But I really like the, uh, the this is how it is, advisor, especially if you take control of the... If we blend the two, yeah. you take control and then you have that NPC wandering around. Well, I I, I would, uh, just to go back to like some plot hooks as well, to further build into this campaign, Orcs Pillage, Orcs Steal, have one of your characters who's searching for their ancestral weapon be in the hands of that war chief and muddy the situation even more. Oh, yeah, right? absolutely. There's so much you could do with this. Have, have like your half-orc member be like the bastard offspring of the second war chief two war chiefs ago and that aged orog over there remembers and knows who you are i got a question for you if look, the orcs came and burned down my orphanage okay so we've all done that welcome to dungeons and welcome dragons. to dungeons yeah, and dragons the orphanage is burned yeah and orcs did it they ran through my town and murdered my parents yeah it was orcs because it's always orcs it's always orcs so um when you hit that and your players then come up against the horde and say, hey, we got to go wipe those orcs out. Would, an, would a war chief not say to them, fine, who did it? Select the members that did it and, and face them one-on-one -on -one combat. Um, or would the orc war chief say, all right, everybody together, let's wipe these guys out. Depends on the war chief. I, I think the, the focus on this honor and shame kind of thing, like... I, I don't think an orc would because they don't want to do treaties. They don't want diplomacy. And that's the diplomatic answer in an orc mind, I see. Like the, okay, you just kill the four, we'll be fine. They've got a horde of dudes. You're you're coming in, you're talk, you're accusing them of something. 
no, 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 you don't do. No, I'm the war chief. What you, about what about what the, gives you the right to talk to me? What like about that? the barbarian that walks in with a bunch of orc scalps and drops them at the border and says, "I demand to speak with your war chief." Oh, that guy's getting carted in and getting he gets his audience. Yeah, they're going to give him women, right? Yes. Like that is that is the orc way of this. This is Conan the Barbarian level shit. Yeah, right? yeah. and so the bard is. Not well equipped for this. This is the time when the barbarian and the fighter are the most persuasive members yep. of the entire. Uh, I would also say um, druids, Ranger. rangers. I would even say maybe a sorcerer, um, because they're high charisma. Warlock but, would be good here too. Yeah, but your your scholarly wizard, your charismatic bard, your peaceful calm monk. I just all- want to see a wizard walk up to a guy and be like, "Um, actually." <laughs> Excuse me, those are awfully large knuckles. Were you born that way? Right? Like, <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Buy me a drink first. Um, so, the uh, the way that you... <laughs> I'm glad nobody saw that hand movement I just made, Dan. That's, thank God this is, a, this is an audio medium. <laughs> um, so, anyway, the, uh, the idea that you can flip the script on the um, social aspect yep. of a campaign as well... Look, the bard wants to be the face. The monk wants to be the calm voice. So don't punish them for that shit. But it's good to subvert expectations once in a while, especially with experienced players who are in a long-term D&D party. Yeah. Right. Is there anything else you want to add to orcs here? Yes, lots, but we have a whole other episode to do it with. So. Okay, sounds like a plan. So that's a decent portion of what we could find in 5e on orcs. But we're only about half done. Don't forget to come back next week when we cover another five kinds of orcs. That'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head over to www.itsamimic.com and hit our fancy donate button. Or tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Stay safe out there, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Okay, guys, so we've talked a lot about orcs today, but I'm curious about what they do in their free time, in their tribe, when they're not raping and plundering and pillaging villages, what do they do to get out that competitive side? So my question to you is this, if orcs could make a sport of some sort that's not hunting, what sport would it be to kind of get out that competitiveness? I don't know, Dan, you wanna roll dice on this Uh, one? Yeah, I guess so. I got a 19. I got a 3. All right, you're up first. All right, uh, so they need a sport yeah. um, that emphasizes strength, speed, and endurance. Yep. Okay, because they're orcs. Yep. So they'd uh, swim. Oh, you just went straight with swimming, hey? They're prolific. I went with uh, fuckathon. No. Oh. No. So, but no, I, I have other ideas. I Seriously? I, is it in swimming? the vein of fuckathon? Uh, no. 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 It's. I mean, wrestling oryx or rocks. Wrestling the big cow things. That is not what a fuckathon is, Dan. I mean, depends on your culture, doesn't it, Adam? No. <laughs> no, it doesn't. God damn. No, okay. My I know ma- some Scotsmen with sheep that would disagree. Those are not giant bulls. So Some of those sheep get pretty big. So, my... And now we're going to ram. No. So, <laughs> so, no. My, my answer is, uh, is not dodge ball where you throw a ball. It's dodge gnome. 
You just want to torture gnomes. No, that's not torture. Those guys are going to hit a wall and go splat. This is dodge gnome. You are just throwing gnomes. Ideally, what you do is you just break one of their kneecaps so they can't really run away. So they're hobbling and screaming around. And, you know, you put six of them on the middle line, right? And then, you know... You've put a lot of of thought into this. Ten, yeah. If you can dodge a wench, you can dodge a gnome. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay, no, but what would you do with with the other downtime? With other downtime? I mean... I, 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 again, I go to those tribal cultures that you see in... Like, that, that's my um, real answer. Mongolian too, yeah. and, and uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and like Native American. You see these everywhere of these cultures that just... they Old hunter, South American. They get, yeah. yeah, they hunt, they're hunter-gatherer. They'll play with the kids. I really Training. Do, I really do feel like there's more of a... I don't want to say maternal, but a, a homestead feel to... This nomadic tribe as it moves. Yes, it's brutal. But so were the Spartans. Mm -hmm. So were the Vikings. Right. And they still managed to have societies that, I don't want to say revered kids, but at least respected them to bring them up the appropriate way to replenish the numbers. Right. There are bloodlines that matter. You talked earlier in the episode about King Obol III, right, Uh, that showed up in a Dritzt book. Yeah. That gives me the impression that somewhere in there, bloodlines matter. Two orcs, right? So when you say that I'm a half orc and I never knew my father and whatnot, have the father be the war chief. Yeah. Right? And then your player is a direct descendant. They're next in line, right? And it's only up to the eyes of Grimsh or the the Orogs to, to say, no, this is not the right person. I also focus... There you go. There's your plot hook. An Orog comes out of the darkness and says, the war chief died. You're next in line. So I, I also lean heavily on this idea of their spirituality. So I, I see like old uh, orc crones like moving throughout and being like these spiritual hubs inside. And like um, you see healing tents and spawning pools and, and uh, you see warriors going through rituals to prepare themselves for an upcoming battle. Or Scarifications. Trial. And Scarification and tattoos. tattoos and, yeah. and, and like... Big the, piercings and shit. Uh, also, I see a lot of uh, reverence towards ancestors. Right? We talk ritualistic circumcisions. I'm of captured people. Yeah, I guess. Mm, no, yeah. I think that so. That's... So you have the orogs. You have the eyes of grooms. You have the moils. You have the no, 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 no. It, it's, <laughs> it's orcs, orogs, orocs, and eunuchs. Oh, okay. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs>